Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for small group discussions. Be sure to check out the show notes for a reading guide. I encourage you to jot down a few notes after you listen to the sermon. And then there's also a link to click on when you meet together as a small group that you can submit your attendance and any questions that you might have to me, Pastor Hagen, and I will follow up with you personally. Please come join this resurrection life together. This five-part sermon series is from Pastor Mike Novotny, entitled, You Reap What You Root. Our introduction for number four, Give, reads like this. Everyone wants to reap generously and enjoy the blessings of God, but we often forget Paul's classic line, that only those who sow generously will reap a generous harvest. Paul was unashamed to say that being financially generous was a key to joy, blessing, and so much more. In the same way, many Christians have learned that it is more blessed to give than to receive, that having a give root actually produces incredible fruit. Pastor Mike Novotny, You Reap What You Root, number four. I want to talk to you today about God and money. You look thrilled. (laughs) I told my dad at lunch today what I was going to preach on today. I'm going to talk about God and giving and generosity. And he looked at me and said, I'm not coming, <laughs> but I think he showed up today, and, and I hope you give me just at least two minutes to convince you that you should stay here too. I know I'm a pastor, and I know lots of you have had bad experiences with churches asking for money. If that wasn't bad enough, you might have noticed we have cameras in our church that this message is going to be on TV, and if you're watching on TV, it's probably worse, right? A guy on television telling you to give money to ministry Uh, We've all heard enough stories to realize this doesn't always turn out well. Before you kind of cross your arms, though, and and check out or walk out the door or change the channel, I want to say three really quick things. Uh, And here's the first one. I I am not that kind of pastor. (laughs) I try to be pretty transparent with you uh, when I speak here in church and confess the things that I struggle with. And there's a lot of things I struggle with, but I, I thank God that the love of money and, and the greed and wanting more stuff from you has never really been a, a struggle in my life. I know it's easy for a, a pastor to say and maybe difficult to believe, so I brought some pictures to prove that that's true. Take a look at the first picture. Uh, this is my car. Uh, My next-door neighbor, when he found out our our church is going to put messages on TV, he said, are you going to get a helicopter? (laughs) But this is the only helicopter I have, a a Chrysler town and country. I am this close to hitting 200,000 miles. And if you cut a million-dollar check to our church today, do you know what I would be driving next week? A Chrysler town and country. I'm going to drive it into the ground or until Jesus comes back. Here's my second picture. Uh, This is the couch in my house. Uh, I got this off a Craigslist from Moses, like way, way back in the day. This is, my couch is old enough to drive my Chrysler town and country. The, it's not a bad picture. Those are stains on the left cushion. The middle one is torn. My wife despises this couch. In fact, my family started a fund to buy a new couch a couple Christmases ago, and I spent the money on something else because I'm going to hold on to it until Jesus comes back. And you could write a $2 million check today, and I will keep that same couch in, in my living room. Or how about one more picture? This is my closet. 
Uh, these are all, what, seven shirts that I own. <laughs> all the shirts up top, those belong to my wife. She's taken over 80% of the closets. I have one suit. I'm a pastor. I own one suit for weddings, funerals, all the fancy things in between. And if you wrote a $3 million check to our ministry, I'd be wearing the same shirt next Sunday. And so I want to tell you that this, what I'm about to tell you, is not about that. It's not about fancy cars. It's not about bigger homes. Um, you could give crazy generously more than you ever have before, and I would drive the same car, wear the same stuff, live in the same neighborhood, and not change my standard of living. Today is not about getting something from you. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that God is going to give something to you. That's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is that if you're kind of new to this and you're not convinced that Jesus is the greatest treasure in the world, uh, I don't want you to give anything when this message is done. Like if your girlfriend brought you here to church today or your significant other, if you just stumbled across this program watching TV and you're not convinced like Jesus is worthy of everything, like if he's not the sun in your universe that everything orbits around, if you're not convinced he is awesome, amazing, and worthy of every dollar and every cent that you own, I don't want you to give a single dollar or a single cent. We believe that giving here at our church is a get-to and not have to. It's something we want to do because we've met Jesus and he is so generous and so good that we can't wait to give so that people can hear about his name. And so if you haven't heard that name just yet or you're not convinced it's worthy to be worshipped, you're totally off the hook today. No guilt trips, no fees, no dues, no expectation. Just let uh, the basket pass you by. And here's the third thing. If you do believe Jesus is worthy to be worshipped, the Jesus you worship the Jesus you love, the Jesus you trust. Do you know what he said about giving? I'll show you a passage from Acts chapter 20. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> so the, the Jesus who is God, who knows everything, actually said what would be even better for you than me giving you a $100 bill today is you giving a $100 bill as an offering. He didn't say it's like, well, you know, it's something you have to do or you really should do. He says, if you, if you want to be more blessed, then don't just try to get, set your heart to give. But that's pretty difficult to believe, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, when you're a kid, you definitely don't believe this. You can't wait to get the birthday presents. You care less about your little sister's birthday. You can't wait till it's yours because the, the presents come. And even as we grow older, it's tough to shake ourselves of that idea. And to be honest, that's a big struggle for our church. And the other day, I was trying to think about how healthy we were as a church family. In our church, we, we often talk about these five roots, you know, gather, are we coming to church, group, are we doing life together, grow, are we in the Bible, uh, give, are we generous, and go, are we inviting people to learn about Jesus? And, and I tried to crunch the numbers as best as I could. And, and did you know that four out of those five roots were off the charts strong? Like the percentage of the people who call this their church home who show up Sunday after Sunday, our gather route is ridiculous compared to most churches that I know. And this past semester, our group route is stronger than, than it's ever been. We had more people sign up to do life together than I think in the history of our church. And last week, I, I challenged some of you to, to grow, to read the Gospel of John with me. And I got a stack of communication cards this big of people who are excited to get into the Bible day after day. But then we came to the give route. And you know what I found? 
I asked some of our office staff to crunch the numbers to see how many people who are adults and call this their church home, how many people gave at least $1 in the last 30 days? And the percentage was 39%. These aren't like 10-year-olds being counted in the number. These aren't the many guests that come to our church. These are the people who have said, this is my church family that I want to support. They've been through the new member process and learned about the importance of generosity, yet at least $1, 39%. And that number made me think, because I could be wrong, but I feel like our church is in a really good spot right now. There hasn't been any big drama or controversy. There's things we're working on and flaws and and sins we're, we're trying to fix, but there's so much energy and excitement and anticipation about our ministry. And yet, in the middle of a season like that, the super majority of people who call this their church home have struggled to give a dollar in a month. But about a month ago, I had this light bulb moment. And I realized why that makes total sense. My light bulb moment was when I was sitting down trying to write a check to give to our church, and I hesitated. To understand why that was a light bulb moment, though, I need to tell you a little bit of my financial story. Uh, When it it comes to people who've lived on this planet, God, I, I think, has spoiled me rotten with money. I mean, I was born in 1980 in the United States of America, to an upper-middle-class family, which is crazy. (laughs) Like, by world standards, I'm uber-rich. It wasn't just that my family had means, it's that they were generous and kind. My parents helped pay for my college education. Uh, They bought me a new car my freshman year of of college. And when I was a freshman, I met a beautiful, talented, godly woman named Kim, who also came from an upper-middle-class family. She was born in 1981 in America. And like my parents, her parents were generous and kind. And and so we meet, we get married, and because of our incredible families and the blessing of God, we we graduate all of our education, grad school included, with zero dollars in student debt. Kim and I, our entire lives, have never been without a job, actually one that we like in, in the field that we love. We have never had a single car payment. We've never had a medical bill we couldn't instantly pay. We've never had a credit card that hasn't been paid off by the end of the month. God has blessed us like in, in every financial way that you can imagine. And if by chance something terrible happened and the wheels fell off the bus, we still have a generous, kind group of family and friends who would take care of us. But you know what happened not too long ago? Uh, I was scared to give. It was like my quarterly taxes kind of lined up with a tuition payment for our kids going to Christian school and they were going to do piano lessons, so I had to write that check. And I actually missed two weeks of giving to church. I was putting like three weeks' offerings t- together. And, and we made this commitment to give a certain percentage of our income to the homeless in our community. And I haven't actually budgeted for that yet. And I'm looking at the numbers, and I like hesitate with the pen. And I was scared to give. And it hit me. If, if God has stacked like the finances in my favor for my entire life, and, and I can be afraid to give... Now, what's it like when your financial story has been harder? What's it like for those of you that don't have two full-time incomes? You have one or a half or you're searching for work. What's it like when, when you graduated with thousands, tens of thousands of dollars of student loans and then you meet someone who also has tens of thousands of dollars in student loans? 
What's it like when you're trying to budget for the wedding? What's it like when you're trying to pay for the funeral? What's it like when you're trying to give the lawyers back the crazy amount of money they asked for the process of your divorce? What's it like when there's uncertainty at your job and you might have an income today, but you're not sure tomorrow? I mean, if, if it scares me sometimes to give, what's it like to be the church? And so the number 39%, it, it didn't shock me. It, it made total sense. Because you can live in first world America and you can love Jesus and you can believe he's good and forgiving. And, and yet when that pen comes out or you, or you open up the app to give financially, it's, something stops you and that something is fear. And so when that light bulb went on, I realized what, what I have to share with you today is not how, but why. I, I preach a lot of messages about how to give. You know, here are the options. You can write a check. You can go to the app. You can go uh, set up a, a payment online on our website. And, and here's what giving looks like. You know, God says you make a plan and you pray about it and you pick a percentage and you give repeatedly with pleasure because you know Jesus become a, a 5P giver. But, but I realize all that, it just won't work. It won't deal with your fear unless we tackle the question, why? Why, why don't we Christians need to be afraid to give? Why don't we need to hesitate, even though this or this or this or all these things might happen before the check is even cashed? I know today, uh, if we're going to become generous people, if we're going to have a strong give root as people and as a church that produces the fruit of joy and peace and kindness, we're going to have to answer that question, why? Which is why I love this part of the Bible. <laughs> But 2,000 years ago, the, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote a letter that you can find in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians. And, and a big chunk of that letter is Paul's encouragement to a group of Christians who felt just like that. Uh, the Corinthians apparently had made this commitment that they were going to give a generous offering to help the poor believers in Jerusalem. But between their commitment and the actual giving of the gift, uh, they felt fear. And they hesitated. And so when Paul writes them this letter, he actually spends two entire chapters. I think it's the longest section in the entire Bible on financial giving. And I wish I had time to walk through all those chapters today, but I'm just going to zero in on three verses, three things that the Apostle Paul says. And in those three verses, we're going to find incredible motivation to become generous people. So if you have your Bible with you or just want to follow along on the screen, uh, let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin today with verse 6. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I love the way that starts. Paul says, remember. If there's one time that Christians can be forgetful, that like every Bible passage and thing we've learned about God can just disappear is when we're dealing with finances. And so Paul says, don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. Remember, there is a God. Remember that God cares about you. Remember that God knows you and he knows the future and he can do anything. Remember, Paul says particularly, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Paul says, remember, Christians, what every farmer knows. <laughs> that if you put just a couple seeds in the ground, at the end of the season, what are you going to get? Well, a little bit of harvest. But if you put lots into the ground, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously in return. 
Paul is setting up a, a financial principle for every Christian. He says, just like the harvest, giving an offering today won't change you radically, but a season from now, a month from now, a year from now, a, a decade from now, if you live a generous giving life, you will reap an incredible harvest of blessing. Now, let's not understand Paul clearly. This isn't like a, a pyramid scheme that he's running. This isn't a way just like to get more money and use God as the tool in the process. Uh, Paul's not saying that if you give 50 bucks today, by next season, there'll be 100 in return. Although, do you know what happened two days ago as I was working on this sermon? <laughs> God has a crazy sense of humor. I, I leave my office on the other side of that wall. I come in here. I go through my message one time about a half hour, I go back into my office and I start typing and I look and there's something sticking under my keyboard and I lift it up and it's a hundred dollar bill. And I look around like, what? <laughs> like an angel fly this here? And I go down the hallway to my coworker. I'm like, Tom, like, was, that, was anyone in my office? And he says, yeah, some random guy just rang the doorbell and he just gave a hundred bucks that he wanted to give it to the church. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, God. <laughs> I mean, God has resources that we don't know anything about. You know, that they don't end up in the budget, but, but God is able to bless us in incredible ways. And God might bless you that way. If you bring him in the middle of your finances, he, he might bless you financially, or he might bless you in, in better ways. The harvest that you reap might not be more money, it just might be better relationships, or more trust in God, or more joy in spiritual things. Your standard of, of living might decrease slightly as your standard of giving increases, but God says at the end of the season, you will not regret it. And, and some of you know that. You know, I have a big regret about today. I really wish I would have interviewed a bunch of longtime Christians and asked them, do you regret it? You, you've been giving not just for weeks or months, some of you for years and some of you for decades. Crunch all the numbers together. How, how much have you given to Christian ministry in your life? The thousands? Some of you tens of thousands? Some of you have given enough money to church to buy a house. And I, I wish I could have asked you, do you regret it? But I have a feeling I, I know what you would have told me. No, because those who so generously have reaped generously. Some of you are wise enough to know that, that what you give to support the spread of the gospel makes you a part of the harvest of the gospel. And so when we put our hands together and, and we praise God that a woman is baptized right here in Jesus' name, you, you realize that even if your hand never touches the water, you were a part of that. And the, the church that existed that she got connected to, the, the staff that she met with to learn about Jesus, you, you were a part of that. And you reap generously with every beautiful story. I think about the new member videos that we play at our church. P people who say, you know, I, I, I didn't really grow up in church. I didn't know that much about Jesus. And then I came and I took the class and, and I joined a group and, and I'm so excited about my spiritual future. And even if you didn't teach the class and, and you weren't leading the group, I mean, you were a part of that. Do you believe that? Like when you gave, you helped change a person's eternity. And the best part is that most of it you don't even see. Which people did I meet with this morning in my office? You have no clue. But if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here and there wouldn't be an office to meet in. 
And so the scripture we shared and the hope and the encouragement, you were a part of that. Which marriages were this close to falling apart after the affair, but we met and your pastoral staff counseled them and they stayed together and they're thriving and they're still here. Well, I can't tell you that, but you were a part of that. Which people from, from our community texted me this past month and felt so ashamed because of some sexual sin. They didn't even feel worthy to come into church. But I got to tell them immediately that there was forgiveness and grace at the cross of Jesus. And I didn't have to wait till after work. This is my work because of you. You were a part of that. And little kids who stand on these stairs and they sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. These little five-year-olds who go to our Christian school. You might not be their teacher. You might not have taught them that song. But if, if you give, you, you were a part of that. <laughs> and the more I think about that, like lives are changed and people are being saved and sin is washed away. I hope that even though you're not right in the middle of it, you, you actually are. And every time you give, it might seem so small, but you are reaping generously. And the more you see that, the more this cycle of generosity just starts to snowball. You, you, you give money and then you hear the stories and you reap generously, which makes you want to sow even more generously. And, and giving, instead of being this reluctant have-to, becomes this incredible get-to. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. Well, what's the first reason why we would give today? And Paul's answer is because givers get. <laughs> we, we get blessed. We get to be a part of something amazing. We get to join God in his mission to save people and to change lives. But to quote the infomercial, wait, there's more. (laughs) Paul's not done quite yet. Verse 6 is amazing, but he's got something else to say in verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Ever heard those words before? All right, this is like top five giving passage in all the Bible, and it's so beautiful. Let's break it down. Paul says, each of you should give. Like Each of you Christians. Uh, you might be a new Christian, a longtime Christian. You might be a rich Christian, a poor Christian, a middle-class Christian. E- each of you, if you love Jesus, you should give something. Well, how much should that something be? Paul says, you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Like, I'm not going to tell you an amount, a percentage of your heart that's been changed and saved by Jesus, that loves him and trusts him. You should sit down, connect, pray, and make a decision. Not reluctantly. Like, don't hesitate. Don't be reluctant. Don't think it's not going to work out. Trust God. And don't let it be under compulsion. My job as a pastor is not to beat you over the head and tell you to give more, give more, give more. My job is to preach the gospel so you want to. And here's the reason why, because God loves a cheerful giver. And I love thinking about that. Have you ever considered your father's expression when you give an offering? And when you go to the church app or go on the website to set up an electronic gift or you drop a a check or cash in the basket. Have you ever thought about what God is thinking, expression on his face in those moments? Because it doesn't say God accepts a, a cheerful giver. It says God loves, God loves a cheerful giver. That makes me think of a couple months ago. Uh, my, my eight-year-old daughter and I, Maya, we were playing volleyball on like this 90-degree day 
with high humidity. Uh, she wanted to play with her daddy, so she grabs a volleyball, and we're in the front uh, driveway hitting it back and forth, and we hear something. We look across the street, and there's our elderly neighbor, Elaine, uh, reaching up with like a, a broom, trying to get the, the leaves off of her roof. And I could see her struggling. It wasn't going so well, so we kind of realized it was time for us to help. So uh, I went across the street, tried to use my go-go gadget arms to like <laughs> help her out, and, and before you knew it, like we got the ladder out of her garage, and it turned into this big project, and I'm sweeping like totally train wrecked this special time I had with my daughter. And, and just as I, I get up on the ladder, she runs away from my neighbor across the street back to our house. Not to pout and be mad, not to hide in the air conditioning from the sweltering heat. She ran into our garage to grab her little broom. And as I pulled the leaves off the roof, she swept them into a little pile. And it was hot. I mean, blistering, sweating, uncomfortable hot. And, and she didn't say a word. And we got down and, and our neighbor went inside to, to give us money to thank us. I said, no, no, that's okay. And, and I told my daughter, you know, she wanted to give us money, but I said no. And my daughter said, okay, daddy. And we walked across the street and I was so stinking proud of her. I mean, she did not whine. She didn't complain. She didn't roll her eyes. She didn't get mad. She didn't regret it. She gave to our neighbor with a cheerful heart. And I loved it. I loved it so much. I got out two spoons and a tub of ice cream before mom could come home and tell us not to spoil our dinner. <laughs> and do you realize that that's how God feels when you give? When you see a need and, and you give. When you don't run away from the opportunity, but you see someone in your family or in our community in need and, and you give, like you, you can't see his expression, but Paul says, this is his expression. And he's so proud of his kids who give generously and cheerfully and not fearfully. <laughs> and we've made it a, just kind of a habit here to, to clap when we sing and pray and praise and worship when people are baptized. But, but I wonder if we shouldn't start a new tradition of, of clapping as we take the offering as we join the saints and angels and God himself who are applauding that great moment when we trust him enough to give. I know many of you grew up in the Lutheran church, so that's probably not going to happen, but just think about it. At least clap in your head. Because Paul's not kidding. God loves a cheerful giver. And what you decide in your heart might be small and it might be great. It might be all you have to give and it might be a four-figure check, but God loves it when we think, decide, and we give. Which brings us to the last thing that Paul's going to say today. In my opinion, he's saved the best for last. Look at verse 8. He says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. <laughs> that is so good, isn't it? Like if, if you are afraid to give, if you're nervous, if you're skeptical, just like highlight those words, tattoo them on your arm. God is able. But, but pastor, what if this happens? No, but God is able. Well, what if my debt snowballs? But God is able. Well, what if this happens with my health? What if I lose my job? What about the stock market? Yeah, but God is able. What is God able to do? To bless you. How much? Abundantly. 
God is able to bless you abundantly. Why, why would you give today with all the questions and fears? Here's Paul's second answer for us. Why give? Because God is able. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. I want you to circle it. I want you to put a little star next to it. It's our final fill in the blank. Why give? Because God is able. Uh, in fact, he is so able that, that Paul just has this like monsoon of big, beautiful words for us, doesn't he? He says, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You don't have to be a pastor to, to sense the repetition, right? At all times, God is able. Divorce times, tax times, braces times, tuition times, uncertain job times, God is able. Up times, down times, rich times, poor times, I have no clue where my next meal is going to come from times. At all times, God is able. At all times, God is able to give you all that you need. Do you know what you, you need to live a secure, stable, happy life? God. If God would become the greatest treasure of your heart, if you would believe not in this dinky, small, lowercase God, but like leave the caps lock on, God who loves me, is with me, forgives me, and accepts me. If you believed in a God who was merciful and forgiving and took every one of your sins to the cross, you would have all that you need. And you wouldn't need a big house, a fancy car, to be respected by people who see how much you have. Your heart would be so satisfied in God and he would be all that you crave. You see, that's why Jesus came. So whether you're rich or poor, you would have all that you need at all times because God is able to bless you abundantly. And that's Paul's message. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to give, Corinthians. Don't be afraid to give, Christians. God is able and givers get. So what do you think? <laughs> Are you ready to give? I hope you give in crazy ways. Not so I can get a second suit, right? But so that people can be saved. So people can meet Jesus. And some of you know this story, right? F five years ago, you, you didn't know Jesus. And then you came here. And if you would stand up and tell your stories, you would, you would say to this church, thank you so much for loving people more than stuff. Thank you so much for planting seeds in the ground because it grew into something beautiful. My Salvation. There are so many people who, who still don't know. So let's change that 39% to 44, to 49, to 65, to 82, because if God can do what he has done with 39% of us giving, imagine if we doubled it. Imagine if all of us gave cheerfully because we know that our God is able to provide and bless us abundantly because Jesus was not kidding. It is more blessed to give than to receive. But some of you know that. Because <laughs> you were here the last time I, I talked about giving. About six months ago, I stood on this very stage and I encouraged our church to do something crazy. Uh, we called it Break Your Jar. Anyone here for that? Uh, I challenged you in seven days to give $31,128 to a ministry and cause yet to be named. And do you remember what happened? You did it. You gave over $40,000 in one week, but that wasn't even my favorite part. I mean, I got to call up the recipient of that gift and, and tell them that you had given $40,000 even though you had never met. It was so beautiful, but what was so much better 
was not seeing what you did, but what God did in you. When you showed up that next Sunday, we, we didn't all like mope in a church and say, dang, man, $40,000 poorer. <laughs> no, we felt so rich and so blessed. And there was such joy and such passion and such excitement. And, and we experienced what Paul and Jesus said. That those who give generously are blessed generously. That it is more blessed to give than to receive. So my brothers and sisters in the faith, don't be afraid of the give root. God will keep his promise and it will produce incredible fruit. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. Uh, we know that because you lived and died and rose from the grave, that there is eternal treasure for us in heaven. I pray today that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to see things from your perspective, that we would see how incredible eternal life is going to be with you, how short this life is, and how much souls matter. God, we don't want a fancy church. We don't want more money for us. We want your name to be so beautiful that people would give up everything and treasure you, that they would lay down every crown at your feet, everything this world could buy, and they would realize that you are worthy of everything we have to give. God, I'm so grateful for the generous people in our church's past, for those who have sacrificially given, not because they had to, but because they wanted to, for their faith and their confidence, we, we thank you. We would not be here without them. And I pray, God, now we can take that baton and run with it. There are people we pray five years from now that are going to meet Jesus because we give. So God, free us from fear, free us from reluctance, free us from compulsion for everyone who is able to give. Let each of us decide in our hearts and not be afraid because you love and bless those who cheerfully give. Jesus, we pray this all in your beautiful saving name and all God's people who agreed, joined their voices and they said, amen, amen. About a year ago, I gave a challenge to our church family. Would you read the entire Bible with me in a year? And before I gave that challenge, I had been praying and asking God, God, would you bring 10 people from our church family with me on this journey? And I gave the pitch one Sunday and I asked people to sign up on their little communication cards and, and do you know what happened? I took a picture from that night. 83 people said they would join me. They wrote 365 on their cards. They sent me notes like, so excited, exclamation point. Let's do this smiley face. But you know what I realized? Um, signing up to read the Bible is kind of like signing up for a gym membership on New Year's Day. <laughs> like, like that's the easy part. There are 365 days of commitment that follow, which is why two weeks ago when I emailed the entire group, I was kind of nervous. I asked them, how many of you are at least 200 days into this plan? And I sent the email and a reply came. And then a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a tenth, a fifteenth. And you know what I found? 45 people. 45 people had been growing in God's word for the past year. But that's not the best part. <laughs> the best part isn't how often they read the Bible or what part of the Bible they read. The, the best part was the blessing that God gave through their reading. I followed up with those 45 people and I said, can you tell me the best thing that's happened to you spiritually? And I wish, like, I wish I had just 20 more minutes to read every single email of how Jesus changed people's hearts and lives. Let me give you just a few snippets. Tracy said, I have learned what true inner peace can feel like. 
Nate said, I've been blessed by the time that my wife and I have spent connecting and discussing the Bible together. Rachel said, the time that I have connected with my teenage daughter. Holly wrote, I find it amazing how there are some days when my reading is so connected to what I'm experiencing that day. Julie wrote, I want to do this every year until the day I meet my Lord and Savior. But Jesse's was my favorite. (laughs) Jesse said, I learned that people haven't changed and sin hasn't changed. And best of all, God hasn't and will never change. You know what I heard? Peace, joy, love, fruit. And where'd it come from? A root. Because Jeremiah was right. Blessed is the one. They will be like a tree whose roots are by the water. Even in a season of drought, they will never fail to bear fruit. I pray that you and I together can become trees just like that. Let's pray. Dear God, um, you determined that we would be born in this time and place. And when I think for most of Christian history, how few people would have the Bible in their pockets, in their homes, and in their hands, uh, I'm just humbled by that fact. Why are we here and why are we now God, only you can answer that question, but I know we have a privilege that so many followers of Jesus have not had for thousands of years to read the Bible every day. God, please lead us not into temptation. I know the enemy doesn't always just want us to do bad things. He just wants us to be busy with good things so we miss the best thing. And so I I pray not just for good priorities, but that we would believe your promise that this word will not come back empty, that faith comes from hearing the message that as we heard from from Deuteronomy today, that we can enjoy life and it will go well for us and the next generation if we're we're careful to meditate and to talk in our homes about the great things that you've done. God, thank you for your patience with us. We we struggle with this. We find time for lots of things and sometimes not for this thing, but we we know this is not a have to, it's a get to. So God, help us to get to and to want to and to meet you. We pray this confidently because we know you delight in us, you rejoice in us, and you forgive us because of what Jesus has done. So it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people who agreed, they said, amen. 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 And they show up and see a sexual sinner and know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. For the person from a recovery group who sees that familiar face from the weekly recovery meeting and they know that if they can be saved, maybe everyone can. And so I pray, God, every week until our health makes it impossible that we would gather here today, that we would believe you, that this root produces incredible fruit. I thank you, God, for our church. I thank you for everyone who encouraged us to be here. And I pray that you would now keep your promise that this word would not come back empty, but it would change us in time to your glory. I pray all these things, God, in your incredible name and everyone who agreed with this prayer, joined their voices and they said, amen, amen. Devotion and commitment to saving us. We ask it all in his beautiful name and all God's people who loved having good roots, they joined their voices and they said, amen, amen.